Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I usually like to do, a little preview of what's coming up. For our inbox, we have a listener who's been invited to her co-worker's wedding, but her co-worker is gay, and so she's wondering, should I attend? What does this look like biblically? I want to support my friend, but what should I do? So I'm going to weigh in with some thoughts there. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Steve Poe joins us to talk about how to build healthy habits as a Christian, and these kind of run the gamut so you'll have to listen in to find out what they are well stay tuned for that conversation well here we are for our round table and uh, we thought we would you know it's summer we're going to have a fun conversation here about pets and uh, if you've been a longtime boundless listener you know that we covered pets years ago we can only come around to the subject of pets once in a while because it is very controversial. I don't know. It just seems to be always spawning some kind of discussion on our uh, site and on our social. So anyway, we're going to revisit it. But you'll remember our, our discussion last time, we actually talked to one of our guests who had rabbits, like those big French rabbits or lop ears or whatever, and claims that her rabbits helped her pick her husband. So there could be some legitimacy. Feels kind of Old Testament, Lisa. Very. <laughs> there, we don't even know what pets are capable of, y'all. So we have to revisit this conversation with new people, new pets. So I have to welcome Adam, Tammy, and Dan. Hey guys. Hey. Hey, Lisa. All right. Well, very fun to have you. Um. Okay, so we had to get a kind of a smattering of experience with pet ownership here. And I'm probably the only one at the table. I have had to my name, two hamsters in my lifetime. And that is it. That is the sum of my pet ownership. My sister, when I was really small, had a dog, but then we moved from a farm to the Bay Area of California. My mom is like, dogs don't belong in the Bay Area. <laughs> my brother was allergic to cats, so we were just kind of like, nope, no pets. So my friends always say that... Are you a pet hater, they, Lisa? I'm Are not a pet hater. Know? I love other people's pets. Okay. okay? This is what we do. So I, my friends always say, Lisa, you just don't know what you're missing, you know? So that is maybe a legitimate statement. Y'all are going to have to convince me. But let's start out by just saying, talk about your the experience that you've had with pets, both currently and in the past. And has anything changed over the years? Like, did you used to not be into pets and now you are? Or what has this looked like? So Adam, why don't you start? Well, I grew up with a cat named George, who was a 20-pound silver tabby who showed up on our As they garage do. doorstep one day. And we kept him for the next two decades. George wow. was awesome. Um, George hunted in the front yard. George okay. was like the most amazing pet ever. He sounds like a legend. No, he was. Okay. More stories later. We'll have to do outtakes. Okay, but that was George, but you currently have a pet. <laughs> yeah, but then my I both I and my wife are have developed allergies to cats. We've mm -hmm. both had cats in the past. We have three kids. They're 10, 12, and 14. And my middle daughter or middle child, oldest daughter, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years has been trying to talk us into something. And... The typical response has been, no, our heads will explode and it will destroy all the furniture. Mm -hmm. And that has worked until last year. I don't, don't know whether it was a gorilla I mean, I something small. What are you right? talking about? I don't, well, stay with me. We'll, come, we'll circle back, <laughs> okay. as they say. COVID, I think, must have lowered our defenses because we finally <laughs> gave in and we got a loss of opso. 
And his name is Winston. We got him last October, so he's whatever that math is, 10 months old. Okay. And uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. How's the furniture? You'll have more. Well, that's a good question. Some of it not so great. They don't have furniture anymore, probably. (laughs) Right? Okay, well, we'll hear more about Winston. Tammy, how about you? Well, I grew up, um, we got our first dog when I was five, and we had him until I was 23. Wow. His name was Pepper. Or sometimes pepper salt hamburger, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um, and I always thought I'd be a dog person. But about 14 years ago, after my mom died, I needed some companionship since I live alone. And a dog just didn't fit into my life at that time. So I became a cat person. And must have been a latent cat person all along. Because <laughs> I've been labeled a crazy cat person by more than one person. And I only have one cat. His name is Wilson. He's a tuxedo, and he is the sassiest boy ever, but just also the sweetest boy ever. So <laughs> I keep asking him if I could. I want a sheep a doodle, but he says no dogs in the house. So yeah, there's that. Well, okay. you know what they say: dogs, the cat. dogs have owners, and cats have staff. Exactly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. That is pretty true. So, and Tammy is a good friend of mine, and I will say, Tammy, we need to consider. I mean, is Wilson? going to eventually find you a husband because you know you and I are both single so this might this might turn me to becoming a cat owner if uh, he can look into portfolios and help me weed through you know certain candidates um likely he's not going to do that so you should <laughs> consider dog parts lisa people yeah. gather dog at these parts. parks with their well, dogs that's and so then true. And yeah. you might meet mr right i live know. right near a dog park i shouldn't make this happen yeah that's for sure all right dan how about you I grew up with dogs, uh, Shetland Sheepdogs, as uh, as a matter of fact. They look they look like uh, Lassie, but they're real small. Like oh, you can carry yeah, them. Yeah. And, oh, uh, they shed, Dan. They do shed. Yeah, you have to, I know. Brushing about that. is required if you have. Most dogs require <laughs> a lot of brushing. Yeah. But then my kids, we had a snake, we had bearded dragons, mm. we had rabbits. Not all at the same time, mind you. And fish. My wife liked fish when we first. Because it met. turns out the snake ate the rabbits. And... No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, okay. The rabbits was a tragic affair. We won't go there. But uh, <laughs> okay. my, my wife believes that cats are spawn of Satan, so we don't um, have a, a cat. I would probably like a cat because yeah. they're kind of fun, but. You know, I'm not, I like pets a lot. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to say was that I think we can all agree that certain people should not be pet owners. Yeah, like we us. We all know. Well, but, well no, I, like I don't know the neighbor who has the dog chained up in their backyard yeah. that never right. has freedom. Mm. Or, you know, their cat lives in the neighborhood instead of in their house. Yeah. Stuff mm. like that. Well, that's my, that's my argument when I say, cause I do, I travel a fair amount. I, you know, if I'm going to be out after work, it's like, you know, dogs are really tricky. They need to be walked. They have to be let out and stuff like that. So I would never want to be that kind of pet owner. That's yeah. just like abandoning their pets and not paying attention to them and stuff. So to that point, Let's talk about pros and cons of pet ownership because there have to be both. I mean, clearly people, Colorado is like off the chain. I mean, I would say, especially with It's on the chain, legally. (laughs) If you're off the chain, you're in trouble. Well, okay. But like, especially with dogs. And then again, this is because I live next to one of the, I will just say it, apparently premier dog parks in like this entire region. Quiet it's like neighborhood, is it? You know, there's like a, there's a creek in this dog park. There are trails oh, where yeah. dogs can be off leash. It's not just like park. a little enclosed there. area. A yeah. Park. Okay. But these people are like coming in their SUVs and their trucks and their Mercedes with their dogs, with their little bandanas on. And they've got a whole day planned and all this stuff. So people clearly love pets. 
guts. But let's talk about... a little bit of contempt in your voice. I'm just going to say that. I am just... uh, You know what? They block traffic, whatever, with their cars. It's all cool. Um, but let's talk about a thing against pet owners, maybe more than pets (laughs) themselves. No. Okay. I'm trying to work through your Sheltie comment, Dan, because I had a roommate who had a Sheltie and we always had to go through and like lint brush the sofa from all the hair on the bottom of it where he would lay. That's true. Okay. Pros and cons of pet ownership. What are they? Because clearly you guys have to have experienced both ends of the spectrum. Adam, I'm afraid to even have you weigh in because I know a little bit of this background, but do tell. No, I think... When it's when it's good, like the reasons you get a pet are, I think, self-evident. Pets are cute. They're fun. They're mm-hmm. they're comforting yes. when they're not biting you. Mm-hmm. Um, they are adorable. And I think even loyal, they're loyal, even mostly. past a sort of mostly. <laughs> sh- that's my hand um, <laughs> and the wounds on it from this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even not to over spiritualize, but I, I think there's something that goes all the way back to Genesis. Hmm. That, you know, God gave the creation, the created order to to be subdued for us to rule over it. And I think that there's something in pet ownership that I'm not going to draw too direct a line here, but I think it's related to that, Mm -hmm. that that we do have something like this intuitive sort of instinct to want to be in relationship with the animals. And obviously the fall messed that all up. But pet ownership is where that's at. And. I mean, my kids have absolutely adored Winston and about half the time he is worthy of that adoration, if I can (laughs) phrase it that way. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other half of the time, which can be difficult. Now, he's a puppy. He's high energy. So um, I think the cons in a nutshell, because I could talk for a long time. We've had some health problems um, that have been expensive. Uh, He had pneumonia and I learned that oxygen, even though it's in the air, it's really expensive apparently to capture it and put it in bottles and give it to dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, and when he gets aggressive or when he won't go to bed or when he chews the furniture up or your shoes or, or a paper. A lot or, or, yeah. yeah. So those okay. are the cons. Okay. And, and I think as you mentioned with dogs, especially your ability to be spontaneous and just say, Oh, we're going to go away for the weekend or right. we're going to do this or that. You got to account for the dog and it's not, yeah, that different than taking care of a small human in terms of the level of ongoing responsibility. Yeah. So pros are that, you know, Wilson's been there for me over the years, um, especially after my mom died. He's just kind of my constant and, Mm. you know, he's almost always happy to see me and um, for a cat. And, you know, can you really tell though? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can tell. tell. (laughs) Um, The cons, like Adam said, the healthcare can be expensive. Wilson was diagnosed with diabetes five years ago. Oh, and wow. so we do daily, twice daily shots of insulin, wow. which is an expense. Um, earlier this year, he was diagnosed with high blood pressure and kidney failure and pancreatitis. The lab work alone was more than anything I've ever paid for myself. Um, and there's an there are insurances for that, but I don't carry insurance on Wilson. Yeah. And so, you know, so now every night we, we do shots, we do pills, we do probiotics. We, he's currently got an ear infection. So we do, um, cleaning his ears and it's the cleaning of the ears that may cause him to, um, disown me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but 
he also is not a cat that you can just go away and leave for a weekend and put some food down and he'll be okay. He's not that way. He's, you know, he needs to be fed every several times a day. He he doesn't, especially in the early days, he didn't free feed very well. He'd eat it all and then he'd barf. Um, he's better now that he's Oh, yeah, older. the barfing. Yes. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah. And okay. when you have an, a senior cat who's got health care issues, there's the carpet cleaning issues. Okay. And we won't yeah. get into the Yikes. reasons why other than the barfing, but you know, okay. I'm all sure right. you can guess. How, how old is Adelaide? Adelaide, my dog is uh, six, just oh. turned six. Okay, so, so not a senior yet. No, okay. no, but I've had dogs uh, live to 15. Okay. And it's hard. The transition is hard um, when yeah. they get old and decrepit, if you will. Um, but I think my philosophy is that you kind of have to invite your pet into your lifestyle. Um, they, they are, uh, maintenance issues. Uh, you can't just, I mean, unless you're just want the plastic fish that, you know, aren't real that float around for decoration, mm-hmm. you know, some people treat fish that way. Um, you give them a little food, but, uh, dogs, cats, anything, um, that moves, uh, rabbits, you know, they need, they need a lot of care. Mm-hmm. And so you got to decide, you know, do you have the time mm-hmm. to your point? Do you have the uh, energy for that? Do you have uh, backups for when you do need to be gone? You know, mm-hmm. we, we had to have another family or friends that could watch our dog when we would go on trips. And, of course, adventures happen when your dog gets loose on Christmas and you're a thousand miles away and <laughs> they're spending Christmas yeah. going, hey. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we've enjoyed our dogs and uh, other pets. I was going to recommend, though, for a single adult mm-hmm. The lizard thing might actually be a good solution because mm. these bearded mm. dragons. Now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. Just just listen. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. Bearded dragons are the lizards that are from the movie Holes. Okay. And the reason that, that they makes used them. Okay, them then. Well, the reason they used them is they're not poisonous. They can sit on you for hours without moving, and they they literally do not move except maybe to grab a, a cricket. Right. Okay. They are so calm that I mean you could be sitting here in the studio and. And it would be a little shoulder uh, accessory, and it wouldn't bother anybody. Okay. So hmm. something like that, you have to, <laughs> you know, as a single adult, I think you need to think about the time and energy. And that's why a lizard might be a solution for you. You yeah. know what, pet, They're I want, Dan. Deadly. Dan, I want a whale shark. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I would need the million-gallon aquarium for yeah. it or whatever. Here in but Colorado? Or they're or huge. They are safe. They are just awesome to look at. And I'm pretty convinced that, you know, you can ride them. They don't even, they're so big, they don't even know that you're there. Right. So I'm just, I'm looking into Feeding it. might be an issue. Well, <laughs> could be plankton <laughs> well, or whatever the plankton. they are. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. Anywho. Okay, so let's talk about, have you guys had any conversation or any whether it's in your head I mean clearly Tammy you're the one that makes the decisions about Wilson but you know Adam with your wife with your family where like what does this look like like decisions that have to be made like have you had you know boundary conversations about this is the amount of money I will spend on a pet up until this point or really the sky's the limit this is like my my baby I can't you know I have to do all you know, reasonable measures and, and stuff like that. Like, what does it look like for you to, to reconcile that in yourself? And then have you had to have conversations with other people who've been like, uh, seriously, like, well, okay, Adam, 
let's be honest, I did talk to you about this the other day because you were talking about your dog swallowing rubber. And I'm like, at what point do you stop removing rubber from your pet's intestines and pain to get It's a reasonable question. Is it? yeah. We've done so, it three times in the last 60 days. Oh, my, oh my goodness. goodness. Not, okay. I mean, different things. Do you have yeah. a lot of rubber laying around? No, it was <laughs> no, once it was rubber. Okay. Once it was a styrofoam packing peanut. And the third time it was a grape. Did you know that grapes like are are nuclear bombs for yeah, dogs? The seeds are that's toxic. Terrible. Yeah, that's wow. terrible. So okay, you and know, puppies are yeah. Puppies eat everything. Right. I mean, yeah. the second time that we went and induced the vomiting at the vet, they bring it out in a little baggie so you can identify. Oh, is this what you think oh, you thought the dog ate? <laughs> I'm like, okay. yep, there it is. And then they're like, well, what's that? I'm like, I have no idea. And my thought was, I think maybe we should just do this every night because you oh, don't no. know. Yeah. So nice. to answer your question, though, I mean, we have three kids. I think it's different if you're an adult and your emotional attachment is likely going to be different. Um, I think it is our baby. He's a member of the family. I don't know what the limit is. We did get insurance after the last round of things. So okay. um, to try to prevent that catastrophic thing. But I think for us, we have accepted that cost and risk sort of open-endedly okay we've been the opposite we've been pretty pragmatic about it we had a pound dog for example that we uh, when we first were able to have a pet um, outside of a rental and uh, you rented the pet or no we rented we were when we moved into our house and we're out of rentals we could have a pet got it and the pound dog was a disaster because it kept running away yeah and we weighed the cost of at the time was 75 dollars Versus the summons we got from the police for our dog, you know, $150. And so the the pound dog left after that. So we've we've been kind of like, we're this dog. We don't spend hundreds of dollars to get our pets in the first place. And Mm -hmm. then if it's going to cost a lot of money, then maybe we shouldn't do this Mm -hmm. so does four grand in 60 days feel unreasonable to you yes (laughs) (laughs) and and it's hard with children i I mean you got to all be on the same page so yeah yeah Yeah, i feel like um yeah that's a good starter car for some people (laughs) you know that would actually be a medium that's about my third or fourth car okay yeah i was gonna say okay tammy well thankfully um you know, I don't have the conversations with other people, but, and I haven't really had to have the conversation with myself, so to speak. But <laughs> thankfully, I've been blessed with an income that has been, I've been able to support the the expenses that Wilson entails. And it's kind of been the idea that he's my baby. He's become a big part of my life. And I'm going to do what I can to keep him around, which is what I tell him when I try to clean his ears. I'm trying to keep you healthy so I can keep you around for a while. And he's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I haven't had to come to that decision yet of how much is too much. Mm -hmm. I I do spend a lot of money on him. Yeah. I feel bad for my neighbor lady, though. She has had four dogs at one time and she's single and they're out of control. And, you know, she has trouble feeding herself financially because mm-hmm. she's not working and mm-hmm. to have all these pets something has to give there mm-hmm. so yeah no that's that's hard i mean that is hard so do you find like do you have conversations with other people about your pets like i mean you know there are all these articles out there about how now there are a lot of like double income no kids people who are just choosing to have pets instead mm-hmm. of having kids there's a lot of you know in the church people i'm sure there's a lot of 
I am not this person. Okay, I'm just going to say, maybe I think it in my head, but I don't say this out loud. The whole judginess of like, um, are you prioritizing the Lord um, over this pet or whatever? <laughs> like we're like the, the balance emotionally in your other relationships and your other responsibilities in life. How do you ensure that that happens? And that said, caveat, people can do, this is something that can be misplaced on anything. TV, sure. hello, there are a lot of things, you know, right. but I think sometimes it's easier to justify it for a pet because it is a creature and it's cute. True. And I think you need boundaries, yeah. for example, in terms of you don't just, I don't bring my dog over to my friend's house without making prior arrangements. You know, it's not like this is my child that can, is a tag along, you know, it's, mm-hmm. We we often say, it's a dog. You're a dog. You're not going to sit at the table with us. You know, you stay behind the line here uh, at, at dinner time and that kind of thing. I, We've seen people that, I mean, the pet rules the house. And that's why they have those shows, you know, the, the pet whisper guy. Yeah, who we're comes trying in. to get on one of those. Cesar <laughs> Romero or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Not really. So I think, I, need, I think boundaries are always key yeah. for a pet. And, and. When you're alone, I can see your baby. Um, my, I have a dog, mm-hmm. not a baby. Yeah, I have two daughters <laughs> and a and a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, awesome. And it is it is so interesting just to see because, um, you know, it's like I've got a good friend who has a dog, and she, uh, for various reasons, had to come and stay with me for a while. And her dog showed up, and he was a big like mutt mix of a bunch of things lab and I think some retriever and whatever and the first thing he did was come into my house and then pee on several of my potted plants that were sitting on the floor (laughs) but he did thankfully write me a letter of apology and I appreciated that for having done that so yeah so we were able to make amends and get beyond that and everything this is still a friendship you can maintain yeah it is yeah so and and the dog he's just an extra question you ask now before that friend comes over (laughs) you're not bringing the dog well, now he's a super old stir, so he's just generally incontinent. So I don't even think we can ask him not to pee on plants, but whatever. It is what it is. So maybe you should go to that friend's well, house. Very, exactly. <laughs> We're on your turf here. Cool. Well, you guys, thanks so much for sharing. I think this is really fun just to hear people's experiences with pets and understand that, you know, there are great things about pet ownership and their challenges too. And, you know, it's weighing all of that, and but it is really fun. So. I would love to see your pets sometime. Sounds Maybe great. not in my house. Okay. Thanks, guys. We will rise like a bird upon the dawn. We will rise waking up to greet the sun. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We will hear his voice call out to us saying, Rise. We will rise. Folks, for this week's culture segment, I get to welcome Steve Poe to The Boundless Show. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate meeting you and (laughs) having the opportunity to speak. Well, this is a blast. Um, We always love it. I always say here when we can get a mentorish type on who is going to give us some great wisdom and some good guidance uh, to some things that young adults are walking through and working on, it's always a good day. And so um, when Steve is not writing books, and today we're going to talk about his book, Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits, Holding You Back from God's Best. 
He is lead pastor of Northview Church in central Indiana. He's been there, oh my goodness, a long time, since 1999, um, but also had a previous life as an entrepreneur and small business owner. You did restaurants. You did financial planning. You owned a radio station. Were you just kind of existentially figuring out what you were about, Steve? What was going on there? Well, the short story is I was running from God. Okay. I'd felt called I'd felt called to pastor, but I didn't want to pastor. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and and so I just kept jumping from one field to the other thinking I'd find satisfaction, but wasn't finding it. Not so much. All right. So your own Jonah story there and now you're yeah. you're in ministry and your church is growing and a lot of ministry there to be done in, in Indiana. And so we're so privileged to have you um, today to talk about this. And so I kind of want to start out because you, you really tackle some big issues and, you know, you kind of, these are the big rocks really as, as what you would say as far as habits. And I think a lot of times we as Christians like to think, um, oh, you know, well, I'm a Christian or I'm quote unquote mature or at least maturing. So I don't, you know, this isn't something I really have to deal with, but that's probably the first sign of concern if anyone's yeah, saying that. Exactly. And one of the first things you tackle in the book is talking about pride. And really you argue um, that it is at the heart of our sinful nature. Many other things stem out of the sin of pride. And what would you say, uh, Stephen, talking about it as the habit of pride, what about it is particularly destructive? And why is it that jumping off point for so many other sins? Well, you know, I'd say, first of all, that, you know, um, pride is an issue that I think all of us struggle with. And it starts out with all of these habits, Lisa, they start out as an emotional response. But then when we repeat them enough times, um, they literally become a habit. They become uh, second nature. We don't even uh, we don't even give it a thought anymore. So pride, for instance, uh, we don't think about that as a habit. We don't think of humility as a habit. But in fact, both of them um, can become habits in our life. And are you saying like so when you're talking about pride, you know how first of all, you know maybe something we have to ask here is how how can the average person, so for the person listening right now, how can they ID really what they struggle with? Because I think that's one of the problems is we have so many blind spots of just thinking like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe that's kind of a problem, but not really. But is there a, yeah. a process of uh, self-reflection or, or scriptural, <laughs> um, you know, interrogation to do with ourselves? You know, I came up with these 12 uh, topics or these 12 chapters because these are all ones that I personally have struggled with at one time or another, to one degree or another, some obviously more than others, but um, I've struggled with all of them. Some I feel like I've gotten the better of, and the others I still struggle with on a continual basis. And I think it's important to just, uh, that's the reason, you know, I've had so many people tell me that they've read the book and they didn't think that they it was an issue for them one particular chapter until they got into the book and they recognized that maybe it was. Um, I think all of us struggle with these to one degree or another. Yeah. Uh, so just to, to help us out, you know, before we depart from pride specifically, give us a little idea of what, what would be a couple concrete examples of prideful, like that self-centered type of pride that really uh, can derail the Christian if applied. Well, it, it's all about us. It's all about myself, my wants, my needs, my desires. It's, uh, it's not thinking about the other person. It's just thinking about 
what I want or need in my life. Okay, so that could be like, um, basically, that's most of us like every day. I mean, that could be just not being deferential to someone else's opinion. Um, That could be just really being selfish with our time, with our energy, with our money. Um, I, I can see how that really could manifest itself in a number of different ways. You know, focused on our own perceived importance. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said it's like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it except you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would be your suggestion, Steve, for someone that's like, okay, yeah, that could be me, or maybe I don't want to admit it or whatever, but what, what would be kind of that first step or two in overcoming that? Well, the one thing that I talk about throughout the book, in every chapter, I say the first step is you have to own it. Um, You're not going to be able to deal with these bad habits in your life until you acknowledge it's a problem. So the first step, encourage people to read the chapter. And if you say, okay, I see that in my life, then you have to own it and acknowledge it. Then there's, there's steps you can take. And every one of the chapters, I give six or seven steps that a person can take to break that bad habit. And each of these chapters are different on what those steps are. But probably every one of them has an accountability partner. Uh, somebody that you that you know cares about you and is not afraid to ask you the hard questions, not afraid to ask you the difficult questions that'll kind of walk this road with you. I like how um, you already referenced this, the fact that really much of this was born out of the fact that these were things you struggled with personally. And the next one I want to talk about, you have a story related to it, and that is cynicism. Um, you actually talk about a, a story about how when you first became a senior pastor, you had some trouble with people who actually scammed the benevolent outreach of your church. Uh, yeah. Tell us that story and really how that kind of catapulted you into struggling with cynicism. Well, I was pastoring a small church at the time, and so when you're pastoring a small church, you kind of do it all. And um, so I was in charge of our benevolence fund, and I had somebody approach me with um, tears and a terrible need going on in their life. And so uh, we couldn't afford to help much, but we helped that individual only to find out the next week that we had been scammed, that this person had done the same story to several churches. Mm. Um you know, you kind of brush that off. But then it was about a month later, I had a similar type story happen again. And uh, this time, um, it touched my heartstrings. And um, I reached deeper into our church pockets and helped the person to a greater degree only to have uh, the police call uh, in the next few days and say, this person is going around from church to church. It's a scam. Uh, Don't buy into it. Well, I already had. And so, cynicism began to be birthed uh, in my heart because I began to, um, because I had these two situations that hurt. And that's where any habit starts, is that I responded in a cynical way. And then the more you respond in a cynical way, the more it just becomes second nature. You just find yourself being cynical about everybody's story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like the antithesis to being able to be open-hearted and open-handed to do ministry. Exactly. You get this attitude of a a scornful or jaded negativity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Steve, there are a lot of people who will say, well, I'm not not cynical. I'm just a realist. Like they kind of try to couch it in this language of euphemizing it kind of into something that actually... I mean, I feel like I know cynics who kind of consider it a spiritual gift in some ways. And what would you say? I mean, you're really saying that cynicism is a sin 
And Mm -hmm. what would you say? I mean, yes, it's valuable to have a realistic picture of things, but how can people watch out to make sure they're not crossing that line into letting it affect every area of their lives? Well, I mean, cynical people are always finding their fault finders. They're always finding fault in everybody. Uh, No matter what the story is, they immediately go and think the worst, Mm -hmm. where really instead of thinking the best of everybody, which is more the heart of Christ, uh, we start thinking the worst of every story. And somebody will tell you something and you'll say, well, I'll bet this is what's really going on. Hmm. And and so if you find yourself always thinking the worst or finding fault, then you've got an issue with cynicism. On the other hand, when you give people the benefit of the doubt and you're thinking the best of them, well, then cynicism is probably not a problem for you. All right. Well, here is one that I think no one can say they have not struggled with at some point in their life. I mean, this is something that touches all of us, and it is the habit and the sin of complaining or being a complainer. And you actually talk through the habit of complaining as, you know, maybe talking about the value of what you call solution-oriented venting and and the benefit of that versus just having something to complain about all the time. Why, how is that distinguished from just being a complainer? Well, it's the end result that is going to make the difference. Um, You know, if like I'm venting with my wife to come to a solution, that can be a positive. If I'm just venting with my wife, to be negative, there's no good that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the difference is in the end result. Are you trying to vent so that you can come to a positive solution so you can make the circumstance better? Or are you just dumping? Mm-hmm. Do you think complaining has become more of a problem in our culture today? Because I feel like, you know, if I talk or think about my grandparents, I feel like they were much more just like, you know, I mean, they went through a lot worse, like harder stuff, but they were just much more positive and pull, you know, I mean, elements of pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and look at the positive side of things because things will always turn around. Why are we so negative in today's day and age? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our culture. Um, A lot of it has to do with what we hear in the media and everybody around us. Um, Our country is so polarized right now. And it's just there's a spirit of negativity uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think we just easily buy into it. Um, It's I think complaining can be addictive. And I think um, it's easy if I'm around other people that are complaining, it's easy for me to just jump in to join in and do the same thing. Um, There's a sense of there's almost a sense of camaraderie Mm -hmm. in um, complaining all of us complaining about the same thing. It it feels like we're, it almost feels like a community. It almost feels like a, a positive thing when in fact it's not. Yeah. Even like a sense of one-upmanship, like, oh, if you think you have something to complain yeah. about, let me tell you about my life or my day exactly. or my whatever. Um, and I think it's also one of those things, and you can let me know if you've encountered this, Steve, about where folks will almost wear it as a badge of honor in the sense of it it being another one of those quote unquote personality traits. Like people will say, well, you know, I'm just kind of a glass half empty kind of person. You know, that's just how I am. 
And what would you say, I mean, again, turning this around, what is the antidote to this? If someone, how can someone recognize um, maybe a, a, a streak of or a tendency to complain? And what would be the antidote to that? Gratitude. Without question, gratitude is the antidote to complaining. Hmm. It's uh, complaining is focused on the negative, but gratitude is focused on the positive. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the steps that I encourage people to take to break complaining is to practice expressing gratitude. Um, just literally make a commitment that every day I'm going to be thankful for express gratitude to people five times or whatever. Um, you have to be intentional about any of this. If you're going to break a bad habit, you have to be intentional about creating a good habit. Mm-hmm. And so if you find yourself always complaining it's the idea that instead of complaining, every time I sense that I'm doing that immediately, I'm going to demonstrate gratitude or be grateful to someone. Yeah. Now, specifically, the uh, one of the, or in fact, the last habit I really want to talk about here is one that I found a little surprising because you describe it as the habit of prayerlessness. And it wouldn't be, you know, so many people identify habits as things that are outward facing or things that are actions, things that they do or don't do. But what would you say, like describe really why the habit of prayerlessness is something, you know, because I I think people, again, they, they try to excuse behavior by saying, well, you know, I pray when I can think of it or I, you know, if there maybe is a need that crops up. But you're saying it really is a pervasive thing. And mm-hmm. um, what what would be evidences of it that you're seeing in the church? Well, you know, Paul tells us in First Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that I'm down on my knees all day long, but it means that I'm keeping that phone line open, that, that heart open to God. And that happens when I create an attitude of that. That happens when I create a habit of that. So... It's like I, I have to um, be intentional about creating this habit that I'm always going to be ready and open to talk with God. Hmm. You know, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Commission are things we commit or do. Then there are sins of omission, things we should do, but we don't. And prayerlessness would be a sin of omission. The scripture has made it clear that God wants us to communicate with him, to talk with him. And uh, because of maybe because of a hurt feeling, or maybe we get angry at God because things didn't go our way, whatever it might be, maybe we stop praying because of a poor heart issue. But before we know it, we've now created a bad habit. And so now we're not praying at all. Hmm. And the only time we pray is maybe there's a crisis or something. And so, of course, the antidote to that is to say, okay, I'm going to be intentional to create this habit or this attitude of prayer in my life where I have that phone line open with God where I'm talking to him all the time. Yeah. So how would, what would be your recommendation for someone doing that without falling into the converse trap of a legalistic approach to it of just, oh, well, I'm going to write down, pray five times a day to check it off the list and make sure God knows that, you know, I'm trying to listen to him. I mean, how do we do it with an open heart? You know, first I would say, Lisa, that it's not a I don't think it's a bad thing to set down some patterns or some plans to create this habit in my life. So in other words, what I'm saying is that if I know that I have the sin of prayerlessness going on, the habit of prayerlessness, and now I want to create a habit of prayer, I need to be almost legalistic. Hmm. I need to say, okay, I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to pray at lunch. 
and I'm going to pray in the eve or in the evening before I go to bed. And I'm going to do that for at least 10 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And if I create those type of patterns before I know it, they'll become an unconscious pattern. They'll become a habit. And then it does, then it is a part of my heart. It is just a part of my love for God. It's not necessarily legalistic. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that does. Um, and I, I want to circle back because, again, like you said, habits, you actually have to intentionally form habits. You, you yes. know, I've heard it said before that no one, you know, no good thing accidentally happens to you. You're not going to yeah. you're not going to slide into spiritual maturity. Um, you're not going to just it's not just going to happen to you. You have to go after it. Um, so, again, kind of as we wrap here, um, getting back to this idea of all of these at one time were something that you personally struggled with. Which one would you say, Steve, you've seen the biggest gains in in your own life? And how have you really noticed God working on you to see success and victory in overcoming, you know, some of the things that can be a little tricky on on this front as far as negative responses? Where where have you seen the greatest gains? I think for me, um, and it's one, the ironic thing is it's one that I'm still struggling with is workaholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was such a, it's been such a serious problem in my life. Um, and the, the problem with workaholism is that it's the one habit that people commend you for. Mm-hmm. It's the one habit that people pat you on the back for, which just feeds your habit. It just feeds the problem. And so I think when I finally decided, it's been about 20 years ago, actually, when I first decided I needed to deal with that in my life, it still becomes a problem for me. I still struggle with it, but I feel like I'm on the right side of it now. I feel like I've broke it as a habit, and now it just now it's just become a an issue that I struggle with at times. Yeah, which is also it is one of the ones you outline in the book, and I think it is so true. And even for younger adults who are listening, because they say millennials now are considered the burnout generation yeah. in the sense of always needing to be available, always needing to have the right answer, always feeling like you're on the latest, you're on top of the latest trends. And if you're not, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, how'd you fall behind? And so it can be kind of a a hamster wheel in that sense of uh, taking over their lives. And so I think you setting that example of being like, yeah, you know, and, and like you said, it's so tough because even in the church, it is applauded. You know, it is something that uh, is looked at as a good thing of like, oh, they're committed. They love the Lord. They're putting in more hours, right. doing right. more stuff. Um, but that doesn't seem to be very biblical from what I can see. You know, I I really believe, Lisa, that we greatly, greatly underestimate the power of habits in our life. And I think more and more people are realizing that it's a popular topic right now. There's a lot of secular books that have been written on it and some Christian books that have come out as well, because people are are starting to understand this is keeping us back from God's best. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, you know, when we, before I was a believer, before I was a Christian, sin had a hold on my life. Then I invite Christ into my life. It breaks sin's hold and gives me the power to say no to sin. And yet Christians will say, but I don't understand. I've been a believer now for for five years, and I still feel like I'm not growing. I'm not getting anywhere. And the reason is, is because they haven't addressed these habits in their life. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get these habits overnight, and they can't get rid of them overnight. And so you have to, you know, a good habit is a spiritual discipline. That's basically, the scripture talks a lot about habits, good and bad. A good habit is a spiritual discipline. 
uh, that helps us to become more like Jesus. A bad habit is a spiritual stronghold that becomes like a tombstone. It, it, it's an addiction, and it keeps us from God's best in our life. And that's why it's so, so important that we not just ignore these, but that we deal with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Well, again, folks, the book is Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits, Holding You Back from God's Best. We've been talking to Pastor Steve Poe here. And just uh, as he alluded to, there are actually 12 habits. We didn't get to all of them outlined in the book. So if you think, um, you know, that none of these applied to you, well, then write to me and I'll tell you they do. But also within the book, he covers uh, everything from anger and excuses to lust, worry, uh, idolatry. I mean, my goodness, that's all of us right there. Guilt. Um, so Steve, thank you so much for, for crafting this book and for living it out and uh, giving us some of the advice that you did today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate the time together. Well, folks, we want you to know uh, that this book, Creatures of Habit, is available to you. In fact, we want to send a copy of this book to you uh, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so if you go to Boundless.org, you can just search for 703. That is this episode. Uh, You'll see the book cover there and just click on it. And anything that you can afford, any gift to Boundless, we want to send you a copy of Creatures of Habit as our gift to you. So... Um, yeah, so make sure that you get a copy today. You got the whole world in your hands, got the whole wide world in your hands, and every little thing is under your command, so I will trust your plans. You've got the It's a constant fight in a world that moves at the speed of life To slow the chaos down But slowing on down is the only way I'll ever hear what you have to say I need to hear you now Cause you've got all of this figured out You've got the whole world in your hands Got the whole wide world in your hands your plans you've got the whole world in your hands you've got the whole world in your hands okay well as we finish out the show we open up our inbox as we do really for every show but uh, today I get to answer the question and so I always enjoy it when I can weigh in on something. And today is a kind of a big one. I'm very honored to answer this one, but my goodness, I'm going to have to blaze through a lot of stuff. So here is the question. One of my non-Christian gay co-workers is getting married and I'm invited to the wedding. We are friendly in the office and have always gotten along. We've worked together in a small office for several years, and I'm not sure if I should attend the wedding or not. Should I get them a gift? Why or why not? Okay, this is a great question, and I'm sure everyone is listening in because who, I mean, if you even have any friends right now, you're going to come up against this kind of situation, and it's a difficult one, and it's a hard one to speak up, and I just want to say off the bat, 
this decision and this conversation on any level is going to require a lot of courage, okay? Because it's not often that we're just hanging out in the office and being like, so let me talk to you about what I believe about same-sex marriage or homosexuality or whatever. So let me go ahead and tell you, I have actually had to deal with the situation. I have a number of gay friends. I have a very close friend uh, who's a lesbian who is now married to her partner. They have a little boy, and I actually had to have this conversation with her. And so, but let's start out with the definition of marriage, because I want to state that if you believe in the Bible and believe it is true and inerrant, the Bible is very clear in defining marriage, defines marriage as between a man and a woman exclusively. Uh, in fact, in Malachi 2.14, it talks about marriage as a holy covenant before God. So it's not just a physical and emotional union where you just find someone that you're, quote, in love with and you choose to love them. Now, there's a lot of love in marriage. There's a lot of choosing to love in marriage. But this is literally a holy covenant before God. Um, so it's not just this like decision to love someone. It is also literally by biblical standards, a moral and legal commitment to someone else. And so there are a lot of implications in that biblically. Also in Genesis 2.24, we see, and a lot of people uh, talk about this, you probably heard this in sermons, that scripture says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So there's not a lot of room for ambiguity there. They actually become one flesh. The verse goes on to say that. And obviously there are implications there around procreation, around a lot of things. God's designed for the family, which is, you know, further implications of this question. But um, then he goes back, uh, Paul, we hear in Ephesians 5, verse 25, talking about like husbands love your wives. So again, we're calling out specific genders. We're calling out specific roles and uh, specific the way that the this is juxtaposed as far as how we relate to one another and how God has already defined it. Now, I think we can also agree that Marriage is messed up. So it doesn't mean like, you know, just uh, if you're a girl, marry a guy and that's your ticket. We know that there is divorce. We know that there are unequally yoked marriages. And so uh, marriage between a believer and a non-believer. And God has things to say about that. We know that there are abusive marriages. But that uh, descriptor in front of each one of those words does not negate the definition of marriage. They're bad marriages. They're still marriages. Okay, so... Uh, summing that portion of this up, I just want to reiterate that God defined marriage at the beginning. So this is not open for interpretation. This is not like, let's all take what God said and then apply it to our modern culture and whatever. God actually defined marriage. And so, in fact, I even looked up the definition of marriage. And while uh, some dictionaries are trying to change it. In fact, I found one that said it's the legal union between two people as partners in a personal relationship. It then goes on to clarify, it says historically and in some jurisdictions, uh, specifically a union between a man and a woman. So they're still trying to clarify that. Okay, so what does all this mean? Um, the reason that this is serious is because it gets back to the covenant of marriage that we talked about in the Malachi um, verse early on. So by attending a wedding, you are witnessing, attesting to, and actually pledging to support this covenant. So you are becoming an active participant in this, okay? So this is serious business. This is not just cake and bridesmaid dresses, okay? Everyone wants to make it into some big party, and it is. It's awesome. 
though some people drop too much money. That's just a caveat. But anyway, it's not just a party. Uh, You are pledging to support the covenant that you are witnessing. And so let's go to my friend's wedding here. I was invited. Um, I did not go. And I actually had to have this conversation with her, including stating some of the things that I've already said here. Um, This conversation did not go well. It resulted in somewhat of a blow up um, because we were very good friends. We'd been roommates for a while back in the day. Um, But you know what? Summarizing, we actually worked through it. And here is why. Because I was able to affirm, and she knows where I'm coming from. It's not like she doesn't know I'm a Christian. She doesn't know that I don't literally adhere to scripture in this. So it wasn't like I was telling her anything new. But what I was able to do was to say how much I love her as a person who is made in the image of God. Her decision to marry another woman does not change that. I love her partner as a new friend, someone that I've been introduced to, someone who is also made in the image of God. I hang out with my friends. They are now parents of a little boy. I love their little boy and they are great parents of him and giving him a great start. And so I can affirm that. So what I have to do overall is stand for truth and then backfill it with love. So it's not like I don't agree with your marriage. So I have to cut you off and be all weird and be a jerk to you. Okay, that is not an option. Um, But I still have to state the truth. And of course, the most loving thing to do is to state the truth. In fact, we published uh, last month an article by Beckett Cook that really talked about that a lot. So, um, you know, in fact, it was funny, the last time I hung out with her, she said, uh, at the end of our time together, she said, I feel like hanging around you makes me a better person. And of course, that is not true. I don't make people better people. But I think it was just that she felt loved in that and felt that I was willing to honor her and spend time with her despite our disagreements. So what does this look like in having this actual conversation? And I will wrap it here. I'm just going to like say this as like a possible script. Don't go into something reading it or memorizing it. But to say something along the lines of, I believe the Bible is literally true. And so my views on same-sex marriage are different than yours. And as such, I shouldn't go against my convictions by attending. If you have to explain more than that, that's fine. If you have to say less than that, that's fine too. But just to say somehow that it is your conviction before God that um, this is something that you probably shouldn't do in holding to your convictions. That said, you continue, I totally respect your right to disagree because it is their right to disagree. And quite frankly, same-sex marriage is legal now. So, I mean, you know, they're going to make their choice. And, you know, I remember just saying to my friend in this, I think you are great. And I think that, you know, your partner is great. And I hope that you would honor my convictions in the same way that I want to honor your convictions and respect them and allow you to hold them. And in light of that, we can still be friends. And so then maybe after the wedding, and I'm not going to parse out here. I know you asked about, should I get him a gift? I don't think anyone's going to lose their salvation over getting someone a gift or be, you know, again, do what you want to do. And like you said, this is a close coworker, but, um, Maybe invite them over for dinner after the wedding or do like a game night or hang out or, or organize a hike or something like that. But again, just reestablish the relationship and say that this disagreement is not something uh, on which you have to sever a friendship or a relationship over. But you know that in your life, God is preeminent. What he says stands true. You have to hold by that. 
you have to stand for it, but you can certainly uh, find the time and the space to love other people in the process. So, all right. Well, I hope that helps you and encourages you and gives you some ideas for moving forward with that. It is a tricky question and one that we all have to wrestle with. If not already, uh, it will certainly come in the days to come. So... Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. Uh, we love to hear from you, so write to us at editor at boundless.org with one of your questions in the future. Meanwhile, I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.